appreciate you uh, leading us in singing this morning. It's uh, always wonderful when we come together and come into his house and are able to worship and celebrate uh, our risen Savior. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, there's been a lot of things in the news recently that have just made you wonder what's going on in our world and where things are heading and what's going to, to happen. And uh, as we were preparing for this week and thinking about what was coming up and anticipating uh, what the EE group was going to be talking about this morning, uh, made me think about what we are doing as a church we can look at the church worldwide, and of course we participate in things because of, of uh, our, our participation with, with missions and that sort of thing. But really, where we are called is to the community that we live in. And we are to minister in the community that we live in. We are to reach the community that we live in. I can't change what's happening in the rest of the world. But as our challenge this morning, we can change and impact the life of one person at a time as we share the good news of a risen Savior. One of the things that uh, I was thinking about as uh, I was thinking about the EE presentation that was going to take place was, what do we do with people who have become new believers, who have trusted Christ as their Savior? What does the church do? And how do we encourage them? How do we raise them up? And prepare them. And so this morning, that's a big emphasis that I want us to share and look at from God's Word. As we do that, I wanted to uh, uh, just share with you uh, I always enjoy uh, church signs and some of the things that we see on on church signs. And so I I put a few up here uh, that are fairly humorous. I think um, the sign makers on vacation come inside for the message. That's I like that one. Uh, church of the Cross, don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. You know, we, we, we don't want to. And Little Hope Baptist Church. Now, that's a legitimate sign. I, I, I just I, I saw that one and it's like, wow, that would really encourage me to go to that place, you know. Um, and then the bottom left, Walmart is not the only saving place. Look at the one on the... On the right, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. Isn't that kind of cool? I kind of like that one. You know, I don't know about you, but, you know, Ann recently took the pictures off of our refrigerator because it gets too full sometimes. But how about the one in the middle at the bottom? Think life stinks? Come and sit in a pew. I I had to put that one up. (laughs) For many of us, life does stink. And you know what? There's no, no better place to come than to sit in the pew and to hear God's word and to be encouraged by it. After the uh, attacks, uh, the Islamic attacks uh, that took place in Paris, there have been people who have been taking credit for that or saying that it was their work. And many of those we know are of the Islamic uh, belief um, and uh, They killed 17 people over there primarily uh, for putting out cartoons, uh, many of which have uh, 
questioned, I believe, the Muslim faith and some of the things that are being taught. And so uh, they went in there and they killed uh, 17 people. Uh, and they're saying that it was a retaliation for poking fun at their, quote, God, with a small G, by the way. On one of the news channels, as I was watching, uh, there was a Muslim that was on there. And he says, why, are, why do they make fun of my God? There will be a civil war over this. And we're seeing war all over the world as a result of what's happening amongst the people in the world who are promoting a religion that leads to violence. That is, it's considered or called extremism, and yet uh, I have not seen any leaders from these groups who have come out and said that it's extremism, that this is not what we teach, it's not what we believe. Most of what we see are those who are promoting this belief system that is leading to violence, murder uh, of people, innocent people all over the world. In fact, even in the Christian realm, very little is being said in opposition to the things that are going on in the world with regard to the Muslim uh, extremists that are out there. Pope Francis last week came out with a statement that was pretty shocking. He basically said that uh, these kinds of things will happen when you attack gods. And, you know, that's a paraphrase, but that's essentially what he was saying, that he was almost justifying their actions because uh, this magazine had been making these cartoons. And, and I wonder to myself, what would happen if... Uh, the, the cartoons were making fun of Jesus Christ. What would happen uh, amongst the uh, Christians? Would we stand up? Of course, we as Christians cannot endorse uh, this kind of behavior. I don't know about you, but uh, I will stand and, and condemn this. I, I find it to be very uh, difficult to watch. Uh, having been a, a police officer for 27 years, I saw a lot of violence. I cannot imagine going into a place where somebody has gone in and gunned down all of these uh, innocent people because they were making some statement that was contrary to a belief, a belief system by a group of people. We have to take a stand. We have to uh, know what it is that we believe, and we have to be careful uh, about what we're doing with our lives to make sure that our message is not one of violence. So as Christians, I don't think we can retaliate in a way that is violent the way these people do. But I think that there are some things that we can learn from groups like this. You see, somebody has taken these people under their wings. Somebody has gone out and evangelized, for lack of a, a, a better term. They have brought them into their group. They have convinced them to become a part of this group. And then they sit them down and they teach them things that are hate-filled and cause them to believe that they're doing the right thing. I think as Christians, one of the things that we need to understand and to learn is that we not only need to go out and tell people, which I'm grateful that we have a church that does that, but we also have to be a church that brings people in and teaches them the teachings of Jesus Christ 
so that they can grow up into mature believers who can stand on the Word of God. Not on the Word of man, which many of these religions are based on, but rather on the Word of God. Jehovah God has given us His Word and has given us a belief system that we can stand on, not just here today, but for eternity. And so that's what we are going to be looking at today. And I'd like to start uh, by looking at why do we come to church. These signs are are giving us invitations uh, to come into churches. But why do we come to church? Why do we come together? Why do we meet as a group of people who call ourselves Christians? Why do we come together? And what what is it that we should be learning about? What should we be teaching one another? So let's start, if you would, let's turn in the book of Hebrews. And we're going to be turning to chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and, and if you're using a, uh, one of the Pew Bibles, it's found on page 1874. 1874. So we're going to be looking at why do I come to church, and then after I find out why I come to church, what am I going to be taught, or what should we be teaching in the church? And when I say coming to church, I'm talking about uh, coming into the, the uh, sanctuary to be taught. I'm talking about going into adult Bible fellowships. I'm talking about small groups, Bible studies coming together for fellowship where we're teaching the Word of God. And so how do we do this and why do we do this? And and so we're going to be looking, we're going to actually follow uh, some things here that are taught by, uh, the the first one we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but the rest are going to be uh, from the Apostle Paul and his stand on some of these things. And I'm going to read this in a little bit different order, so be patient with me as I do that. But I want to start with the beginning of verse 25 of chapter 10. And then we're going to go back up and read 23 and 24. So chapter 10 of Hebrews, and we're going to begin on verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Now back up to 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together again, as I read, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, uh, the, the word in Hebrew here is, Hebrews here is asking us to meet regularly, but it's, we don't meet together regularly just to come together. We meet here together for a purpose. We come uh, every Sunday for a, a specific purpose, which, which is to teach and to learn and to grow in our faith that we may walk with Jesus the way that he would have us to do. When we go to our adult Bible fellowships, it's called fellowship because we want to get together and and fellowship one another with the purpose of encouraging and spurring one another and on so that we may grow in our faith, that we may learn more and more about about the Word of God. The same thing with our small groups and our our Bible studies. That's the purpose. That's why we do these things. And, And some people say, well, I don't need to go to church. I have this or I have that. But... You cannot, I don't believe that there's any way that you can grow to the kind of maturity that God has called us to unless you're coming into a place where you're able to be taught and fed the Word of God. So grateful that we have a senior pastor who preaches the Word uh, week after week, and he's in the text, and he's taking us into the Word of God. And we have biblical teachers here in our church who do the same thing. They, They take us to the Word of God, and that's where we need to go. So, again... From Hebrews, what are what are uh, what is the author telling us that we should do? Well, we come together regularly uh, for a purpose, 
and that's that we participate, you know, or we participate in church so that we can uh, learn to hold on to our faith. There are many, many attacks, aren't they, from outside of the church, attacking us and what we believe. And so uh, there are people who want us to lead us, or who want to lead us away from the word. They want to lead us away from the things. And so as we're exposed to those things over and over and over again, it'd be easy for us to start to question and to wonder and to think, well, I'm not sure about what I believe. I find myself sometimes knowing uh, what some people uh, who have been in the church uh, and who have left have have been teaching. I find myself sometimes as I'm reading through the Bible and, and I come across a section and I start to wonder and think about things that I've heard them say And then I go back to say, but I believe what you're saying to me, God. I believe that this is your word. I believe that you're teaching me these things. And I have to uh, not allow myself to be influenced by what the, the world says and what people who have left the church have said. And so I have to learn to hold on to my faith. It's an, it's an effort sometimes that I have to make sure that I'm really focused on what God's word is telling me. And that is true. And I don't know about you, but, but I find that there are so many influences that want to discourage me along that line. And so I have to come together with other believers and, and be encouraged to hold on. And that's what we're being told to do here in, in, in this uh, chapter of Hebrews in this section. We learn to encourage one another to press on in our faith. Again, it's that, that idea is once you've come to know Christ, we come together and we encourage other believers to keep pressing on. You're on the right track. You're doing the right thing. You're going the right way. And it's okay to challenge one another and, and, and to question one another about, well, why do you believe that? Well, but I think over here in this version, verse, I've read this, and I've read this over here. And, and what do you think this all means? And, and we just encourage one another to press on, to press forward into the truth. Not to be influenced and, and, and taught things that are contrary to God's word, but rather that we're taught God's word in such a way that we hold on to it with all that we have, with all of our strength, with all of our might. Because that is the only hope that we have as we press forward and as we move on with our faith. We can learn to encourage one another to live out our faith, to live out what we've been taught and what we believe. You see, it's not enough for us to have all of this head knowledge. I I, I know people that I have met over the years who, who can quote back to you Scripture left and right. And they really know uh, all kinds of Bible verses. And they'll share these Bible verses at random all over the place. But then you watch their way of life and you see that they really don't believe what it is that they espouse from their mouth. That their life is not consistent with what they say. We are rather to be those people who live it out. We're not just to be people who say the word, who have the word in our head, but rather we are the people who need to live it out. How do we do that? Well, we come together and we encourage one another to to live lives that are worthy of our calling. That's what the scripture tells us that we're to do. We're to live a life that is consistent and worthy of the calling that we have had from Jesus Christ. We're to live out and be the gospel for people who have never seen it or heard it before. If we, uh, if we are growing in our, our spiritual walk with God, then we need to take advantage of every opportunity that we're afforded to learn more and more and more about Him. I appreciated John's uh, testimony about a Bible that his name is written on back in 1968. 
And John would tell you, if, if he had time to be up here longer, he would tell you that he didn't open that Bible or any other Bible for many, many years, that John did not live until recent years the kind of life that God had called him to when he saved him. But now John is on fire for the Lord and he's in the Word and he's studying. That's the encouragement that helps other people. John shares these things with us at Bible study. So when we're together and we hear these things, we're able to say, wow, here's a man who's on fire for the Lord because God got a hold of him. And then he is sharing things that is encouraging to us and helping and spurring us on toward love and good deeds, the things that we have been called to do. And I I don't know about you, but I I love to be around people like that. I I love to be with other Christians who are excited about what's going on in their Christian walk. But, you know, I I have to tell you that there have been times in my life when I've been a part of a group, uh, uh, especially around guys. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, but... But, but you're in a group of guys and you're standing around and maybe you're talking about the Packers game or you're talking about uh, something else that's going on. And, and all of a sudden, you know, like me, you might bring up something, you know, like, hey, you know what? I, I, I noticed that after the game the other day when I was watching it, that a whole bunch of guys got around and they knelt down in the middle and they were praying, you know. And, and I know that one of those guys that was praying is a Christian brother. And, and so I know that they were praying to God, our God. And you know what usually happens when you're with a group of guys and you're standing around and you bring in God? Here's what happens. They, get, they, they walk off. I, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed that before, but I have seen that happen time and time again. In, in fact, I have noticed that there's times, because I've got the reputation of being a religious guy, when I've been around in police groups where I start to walk into a group, pretty soon people disperse. Maybe they don't like, maybe they didn't think I took a shower. I don't know, but but people don't always, even those who profess to be Christians, don't always like to be around and talk about God. I love to be with a group of people who are encouraging and blessing one another and saying, walk with the Lord. These are the things that you need to be doing. Well, as I said, I want to talk about Paul and, and kind of what his belief system is all about and i want you to turn with me to first corinthians chapter 15 and i I, i've preached uh, on this uh before but for me it's one of those areas where we can't ever have too much of what paul says here to the corinthian church and i believe to ours as well and so we're going to look at first corinthians chapter 15 and we're going to read to start with just verses 1 through 3a. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as first importance. So let's just stop for a moment right there. So, What is Paul saying here? What is it that he is talking about here? Well, he's describing his gospel. And my challenge to you and to me today is, what is my gospel? What is it that I believe so strongly that I would tell you if I were in your presence, I was talking to you, if I'm going to send you a letter, what is it that I would tell you that this is the most important thing that I have learned and heard ever? 
you, you always hear about people who are reaching the end of their life and you wonder, what is it that I would share with somebody that's the most important thing that I can tell them today because I won't be here tomorrow? What is that thing I would tell them? I think that's what Paul is saying to us here. I, am, I have told you this before, and this is the thing that's been passed on to me that I believe is the most important. I believe that Paul is making a very, very strong statement here that this is of first importance to him. And so that's what he says. It's significant importance to, God, of, to John is that this gospel that I am going to tell you about, that I am about to talk to you about, is the most important thing that I have told you in the past, the most important thing that I will ever tell you again. I want you to understand this gospel because this is not a gospel that is just words, but it has a significance to it. The significance is that this gospel, by this gospel, you you receive salvation. You receive something that will save you eternally. Salvation is something that we all look for. And Paul is saying, I'm going to tell you what brings that salvation to you. Because it was passed on to me as first importance, and I'm passing it on to you as a first importance. I will never move away from this important gospel. And that's what he's telling us here. It's a very strong statement. He says this gospel is the promise of salvation for those who have received it and have taken a stand for it. Received it means that I have believed it. I have trusted it for my salvation. When it, You may not all know what EE is all about, but EE goes out. Uh, it's everyday evangelism. They go out and they share the good news, the gospel with people. And they tell them how they can know for sure that they can go to heaven. And they give them the promise of what it is, but those people individually. You see, it, it doesn't help anybody if I go and, and tell you something unless you come to the point that you believe it and that you would take your stand for it. I, I can tell you anything and everything that's in the Bible, but unless you choose to believe, unless you choose to take your stand, that you will make this for yourself the most important thing that you've ever been taught, then it's words and it's meaningless. We have to take it in. The Scripture says, believe in the Word and you will be saved. It's not just hear the Word and be saved. And so, Paul is saying to them, well, this is very important this is the most important thing that I can tell you. It's the most important thing that you will ever hear from me. So what is that? What is he talking about? He could have stopped right there and say, and you know what I've already taught you. But no, he tells them again. You know, I think sometimes, you know, I wonder sometimes, you know, when I get up in the front, it seems like I always come back to the cross. I always bring up the gospel. I always bring up salvation. And I wonder sometimes, you know, people say, well, you know, he's always talking about the same thing. You know why? Because to me, it's the most important thing. It's the thing that happened to me uh, a long time ago now, praise the Lord, about 40 years. It's the thing that changed me and who I could have been 
for the better. And has made me uh, somebody who today hopefully is a, a man of worth to other people. Because I could have gone the other direction, as many of you probably could as well. I bring in the cross of Jesus Christ because to me it is the most important. And that's why I share it. Once heard Billy Graham say that uh, he would never, ever teach or preach anything without bringing the cross in. And I thought, man, if Billy Graham can say that, wonderful evangelist that he is, certainly I can't preach a message without bringing in the cross. Well, today we're going to bring in the cross. I'm not apologizing for that, by the way. I'm just telling you that's what's coming. All right, so... So what is this gospel that Paul is talking about? What, is, what exactly is it that he is talking about when he says, I've shared with you in the past this gospel. I'm telling you about this gospel now. It's the most important thing that I can share with you. It's the most important thing that I've ever told you about and the most important thing that I can say. What is this gospel that he's talking about? Well, let's look at it. What he says is that Christ died for our sins. Whose sins is he talking about? Just those that Paul has, ha, had already met and those that he had written to in the past? No, he's talking about the sins of all who would believe. Christ died for you and for me, for our sins. The removal of our sins, making us pure and holy that we may stand in the presence of God the Father because God cannot look upon sin and so therefore he could not look upon us unless Christ had died to take our sins for us in our place. He says, not only did Christ uh, die for our sins, but Christ was buried. And, and I've come across this, these verses, and as I, I've studied into the Gospels, and I, I look at that point where you know Christ is hanging on the cross, and they throw a spear into his side, and blood is running out of his side, and he says he gives up his life, and, 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 you know, and then he, he is taken down from the cross. And, and I think to myself, well, you know, they, they were afraid that maybe... Uh, he didn't really die, and maybe maybe they were uh, they were just making that up. That's what that's what was going to be reported around, right? That's what the Jews wanted to, wanted to be saying. But you know, one of the things that's very clear to me as I read and study the scriptures, and as I read about some of these things from history, the Romans knew how to kill people. The Romans knew when somebody was dead or not dead. The Romans weren't concerned about what day of the week it was like the Jews were. The Jews wanted him taken down so that they could get on with their religious festivals, right? That, that's all they were worried about at that point. Well, we killed him, now let's get on with our lives. But the Romans, they knew. And they took him down, and Jesus Christ was dead. And they buried him. They buried him in a grave, in a cave. Jesus Christ died on a cross. He was buried dead. But hallelujah. Aren't you grateful for Easter? Aren't you grateful for that day that we celebrate and praise God for He did not allow Jesus Christ to remain in the grave, but rather He raised Him from the dead. He, he raised Him up. A dead person, nobody on earth could have gone and said, well, get up and, and walk and you're back alive again. Nobody could have gone in and healed him. Nobody could have brought Jesus back to life. But God raised him. He no longer was dead and in the grave. And, and so what happened after that? Well, 
Scripture tells us, according to what Paul is telling us here, he says, uh, he appeared to more than... First of all, he appeared to all of his disciples. I kind of condensed a a few of the verses here together. It says about individuals that he appeared to, Peter and James and some of the others. He appeared to all of his disciples over a period of time. He was walking around on earth for 40 days. and, And during that time, he appeared to these people. And here's another one. He says he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time. What's the significance of that? Well, he goes on and continues to say, many of whom are still alive today. What is the challenge of that? For me, the challenge of that is, here are some of the 500 people who were there and saw and touched and watched Jesus walk around. They heard what he did. They saw what he did over a period of the 40 days. And what's the challenge? And you can go and ask them about that. Now, you and I can't do that today. We have to believe by faith. But they were able to go forth and find somebody. Hey, you're one of the brothers. Did you see Jesus after he was raised from the dead? Yes, I did. What, what, what did he do? What was he like? What did you do? Did you, did you actually touch him physically? Was he a person? Yeah, I did all of those things. How do we know? Well, because he says to us that there were witnesses, that there were people that saw this. And the challenge that you sense here is more than 500 people saw Jesus. Go and ask them. And when I read something like that as a former police officer, I think about, okay, if I, was, if I were to be going to investigate a crime, and somebody were to say to me, look, there were 500 people who were there and watched exactly what happened, and here they are. Here, they're brothers. They're all here. Go and ask them. I have 500 witnesses? You've got to be kidding me. Wally Helmela, wouldn't you have loved to have had 500 witnesses on some of your cases that you investigated? Can you imagine? Sometimes could you imagine having five, let alone 500? You see the, you see the, the word that is being shared here. You've heard me say this many times. Don't read over these things too quickly. Think about what this is saying to us. What he's saying is this is a truth that is verifiable by 500 or more people. But what happened for 40 days after that man was on that cross, he was dead, he was buried in a grave, and he was raised from the dead by God. And now 500 plus people have seen him. Go and ask him. That's what the author Paul is sharing here. And I think it's a, just a wonderful example of what we have in God's Word. And then last of all, he appeared to Paul, and we, we all know the story of that, as Paul was going down the road and he's blinded, and Christ came and spoke to him. And he said, why are you persecuting me, Paul? <laughs> Instead, I want you to quit persecuting me. I want you to go and be a witness for me. Can you imagine that? Here's a man who... who because of the things that he had been taught and learned. He hated Jesus Christ. He hated the way. He hated Christians and Christianity. Much like the Muslims of today, they hate Christianity. They hate the, the Word of God. And so they weren't going to go out and they were going to stop this movement. And Paul was one of the leaders of that. And Christ met him on that road that day. He says, Paul, cut it out, man. Quit persecuting my followers. Be one of me. 
In fact, not just be a follower of mine, but be a leader of this group of people and go out there and tell others. And so Paul is saying, what I received, I passed on as first importance. You see, who did he receive it from? He received it even from Jesus Christ himself. And then he was taught by other apostles and leaders of the church during that time. How important was this gospel to Paul? How how far would he go with this gospel? Let's look over quickly at Romans chapter 1. It's on page 1747 in the Pew Bibles. But Romans chapter 1. Just looking at verses 16 and, and 17. And there are other, you know, if you, if you ever want to do a study on something like this, just look up the word gospel uh, and just see what it's got to say. Find places in the, in the Word of God that talk about the gospel. It's an amazing, amazing study. But the, I just wanted to share a few verses, uh, 16 and 17 from Romans chapter 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You see, he is saying there that the gospel that I've written to you, the gospel that we have been talking about, the gospel that that, uh, you have heard from me, is the means of salvation. Paul is saying, I can't save you. I can't do anything to bring you salvation. It's already been done for you. When Pastor Brian stands in this pulpit, he can't promise that he can give you salvation. He can only lead you to the one who has brought us our salvation. We have to go back to the Word of God. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm I'm not ashamed of of what I believe. As I read earlier in Corinthians, in fact, it's the most important thing that I have to tell you about. It's the most important thing that I've ever heard. The most important thing that's ever happened in my life. He recognized it as not the power, or it recognizes it as the, as the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who would believe. It's important for us to recognize whenever we read verses like this that Paul is saying here that there is a condition of our salvation. And that's believing in the only one who can give it to you. Many people believe on a, about a lot of stuff. The Muslims, these, uh, the, the, these extremists that I've been talking about, they believe in what they stand for. In fact, they believe so strongly they're willing to go out and die for it. They they go out and they and they're they're killing people and they're proclaiming Allah, right? You've all heard the news news information on that. They're 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 proclaiming that they're doing it in the name of their God. They believe we need to believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and that who Paul is telling us he is which is that He is the Son of God. He is the only way of salvation. It is not Jesus Christ plus. It is Jesus Christ only. It is Jesus Christ alone. We must believe that, and we must trust in that. And we must take the action step necessary, which is to take a step of belief. 
you were challenged today to to become a part of EE. It's going to be starting soon. EE will allow you to know how to tell other people about Jesus Christ. But, but my encouragement is to go beyond telling them and having them say that prayer, but to take them by the arm and say, come on with me. I want you to come and learn more and more and more about this Jesus. Come to a church that preaches and teaches the Word of God so that you can grow up in your faith, that you can become the mature people that Jesus Christ would have you to become, that you may also be like Paul and not ashamed of the gospel. I don't know about you, but uh, I read verses like this, and it's like, you know, are there times, uh, even as I was reviewing what I was going to share this morning, that it, it just came across my mind, are there times when I hesitate in a group setting or when I'm with certain people, do I hesitate to say what I believe? And I think there are times when I, I am just a little bit reluctant. But you know, the more... I have the ability to share the truth of God's Word, the more bold I can become in sharing that Word. And that's why in the beginning I shared with you that, that idea of encouraging one, coming together so that you can be encouraged to be those people who will speak for Jesus Christ. Because that's what we're called for. So he was not ashamed of the Gospel. And he says that, that the faith that we have to believe comes from a place. And, and, and he tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is great, by grace you are saved through faith. And this, I, I love this part of it, and this, what, your, your salvation, or, you know, your faith that, that you have to believe is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. In other words, you cannot do enough to earn your way into heaven. Only God can make the way for you to get to heaven. The way that he has made for you to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ, his son, who died on that cross. That gospel that Paul was talking about earlier. Well, secondly, uh, Paul uh, says, preach no other gospel. Preach no other gospel. The, the challenge here is to be careful that what we're preaching and teaching is the true gospel. Now, I think there are a lot of people, in fact, uh, this morning on Fox News, they were reporting on Pope Francis. I'm not picking on Pope Francis, by the way, this morning, but, but Pope Francis uh, had six million people who had gathered to see him uh, as he's uh, out and about this week. Six million people. Well, Part of the problem that we have with, oh, I'm sorry, and what they were saying is six million Christians, okay? Now, the problem is that there are people that sometimes we say are Christian because they may attend a church. They come out and they see somebody who's a religious leader. But the reality is, is what Scripture tells us, unless we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we will not be saved unless we are willing to name the name of Jesus, unless we are willing to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to God's heaven, unless we are willing to stand up for Jesus Christ, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. So large groups of people are being led astray every day because all too often the church has failed to stand up and be the church. We have to know and take ownership of the word of God 
so that we can lead others. What is this non-gospel that he's talking about? It's anything that says anything else except our salvation is found in Christ alone. That is the only gospel that has the power to save us and the only gospel upon which we can take our stand. Well, let's let's just uh, conclude kind of quickly here. If you turn with me to book of Acts, uh, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I love this these verses, but it's an example for us of, of what uh, we are taught in God's Word about the first church. The, we've, we've just had the verses that talked about Jesus ascending into heaven. He had died on the cross. He was buried. He was raised again. He walked around for 40 days. He didn't die ever again. He ascended into heaven. He still sits at the right hand of God the Father. And the early church would meet and, and gather together. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 uh, to 47. They devoted themselves. These are followers. These are believers of Jesus Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with, wa- with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That was the church acting as the church. And so, what are some examples of this? Well, first of all, they devoted themselves to the teaching. They, they came together whenever they could to hear the teaching of the Word of God. They took advantage of every opportunity. Are you taking advantage of every opportunity to be taught the Word of God? That you can grow in your faith. That's what they were doing at that time. They came together for fellowship of the church with other believers uh, fellowship is very important for us because during fellowship time, those are the times when you can listen to one another and encourage one another and pick up on, on little issues that are going on in somebody's life and try to, to encourage them with that and to do the next thing, which is to uh, uh, break bread together. And, and, and that, I think, is talking about just not just when we come to, into church and we have communion, but that's talking about being in people's homes and you sit down and you eat together. And while you're sitting and eating together, you're talking about the things of Jesus Christ and the things that are important to Him and the things that He's been doing to you. At those times when you're together, you sit together and you talk about things that are going on in other people's life and you, and you take time out and you pray for one another. You're praying constantly. One of the things that we do at our Tuesday Bible study is we start off with prayer for other people, people that, are, that we know who are in need of prayer. We need to be people who are prayers. And then they came together regularly. They did this on a regular basis. They didn't just come when it was convenient. They didn't come when the weather was good, when, when there was something happening that they uh, wanted to be a part of, but they came together regular, regularly so that they can grow in their faith with one another. And then from, a, and from Philippians um, chapter 1, verse 27, it encourages us to conduct our lives in a manner that is worthy of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, you come, you get all of this information, you've been praying for one another, you've been fellowshipping with one another, you've been doing all of this stuff together. Now, leave and live in such a way that you are an example to others of what a Christian is all about. 
does your life portray Jesus Christ in such a way that people are drawn and attracted to it? We want to be Christ followers who are growing and productive for Him. We must be those who are together regularly, taking advantage of the teachings that are out there. The world is going to criticize. The Word is going to uh, condemn. But I believe that God can still today do within the church the things that He has done in the past as people have come together and learned, lived, and labored for the gospel. One of those people is Tim Tebow. And this is an older article, but Tim Tebow was criticized for his faith. And Tim Tebow... Uh, took a stand. And you can see the beginning part is talking about uh, a wife and that sort of thing. But he says in the, in the last paragraph there, my relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing in my life. So anytime I get an opportunity to tell him that I love him or give uh, or given an opportunity to shout uh, him out on national TV, I'm going to take that opportunity. So I look up at him as a relationship that I have with him, that I want to give him the honor and glory anytime I have the opportunity. That's his gospel. That's Tim Tebow's gospel. My gospel is that Jesus Christ is my Savior. He died on a cross. He was buried dead. He was raised from the dead. He was seen over a period of 40 days by over 500 people. Then he ascended into heaven and he sits forever at the right hand of God, making a way for this sinner to spend eternity with him in heaven. What is your gospel? What is it that you believe today? What do we as a church stand for? What do we portray to people who are lost and hurting? Well, I want to compliment you as a church uh, I don't know if, if you all remember, but uh, a few months back we had a couple who were here in the church. Their child had just been born and was in the hospital and it was a touch and go whether this child was going to live or not. And I still remember they were sitting in the back and I was told about this couple being here and that they, were, they and their child were in need of prayer. And we, we had them stand and we prayed for this couple. Well, we got a letter from them this week and it says, though we didn't know anyone in Marquette, It was a blessing to find family there, this church. We visited you on two weeks in September while our son Wyatt was in the hospital in ICU, or NICU. Thank you for opening your hearts to us, praying for us and remembering us. We felt loved and supported. Thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus to us. Wyatt was diagnosed at two weeks and has uh, was discharged, I'm sorry, and has thrived at home. He is growing quickly and is happy almost all the time. Thank you for praying for us. That was the church, acting as the church, sharing with people in need and witnessing to them. Are we doing that not just here on Sunday morning? What is your gospel? What are you telling people about when you leave this place? What, are your, what is your life telling people about who you are and about who Jesus Christ is? That's my challenge to you and to me today. What is our gospel? Would you close us and sing?